You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of the Fifth Gospel from the Akashic Record by Rudolf Steiner. This is the last lecture in this collection, Lecture 13, given in Cologne on the 18th of December, 1913. Before we continue our contemplation of the life of Christ Jesus, I wish to speak briefly about the research method. It is a vast subject, of course, and only an outline can be given but I would like you to have some idea of, in quotes, occult research, as we may call it, which makes it possible to penetrate to facts like those we considered yesterday. The first thing to be said is that such research consists in reading the Akashic Record. I have shown what is meant by these words in articles entitled From the Akashic Record, which have been published entitled Lucifer Gnosis. It is important to realize that different methods have to be used to find different facts relating to the history and existence of the world. Or more exactly, it has to be realized that essentially the universe contains nothing but states of consciousness. Anything that exists apart from the states of consciousness of spiritual entities is in the final instance part of Maya or the Great Illusion. You will find particular reference to this in two of my works. The first is titled Occult Science, an Outline, also known as an Outline of Esoteric Science. This presents Earth evolution from the Saturn to the Vulcan stages and shows that progression from Saturn to Sun, Sun to Moon, Moon to Earth, and so on, initially only meant changes in states of consciousness. It means that if we wish to penetrate to these great realities, we have to go to a level of cosmic evolution that involves states of consciousness, and we can only refer to them as states of consciousness. The same is said in a book published this summer, quote, or titled The Threshold of the Spiritual World. There I have shown how vision gradually rises above the level where objects and material processes are seen all around you. All this vanishes into nothingness, as it were, and is destroyed. Finally, you come to a region where you only find entities in various states of consciousness. Those are the true realities of the world. We live in the human state of consciousness and are unable to see the full picture. And because of this, things appear to be real that are, in fact, not real. I have spoken of this quite often. You only have to ask yourself, Is a human hair something real in itself, even in the most limited sense? Does it exist on its own? It would be nonsense to say a human hair existed on its own. We have to see it as something that grows on the human body and cannot exist in any other way. Everyone would agree, therefore, that it is nonsense to speak of a human hair as existing entirely of its own accord for a hair cannot develop in isolation. Plants are often felt 
to be individual entities, but they are not, any more than a hair is. For a plant is to the earth organism what a hair is to the head, and there is no point in considering a plant in isolation. The earth has to be seen as analogous to a human being, and all plants as belonging to it, as the hairs do to a person's head. It is important to know where we have to draw the line in considering an entity as something existing by itself. At the ultimate level, which human beings are able to reach, however, anything that does not have its roots in a state of consciousness cannot be said to be an independent entity. Everything has its root in a state of consciousness, though always in different ways. Take a thought, for instance, something that lives in a human mind. Initially, thoughts exist in our conscious mind, but not only there. Spirits belonging to the next higher hierarchy, angeloi or angels, also have that thought. But whereas we have a single thought, the whole of our thought world is a thought of the angels. The angels think our conscious mind. You can see that when you advance in higher vision, you need to develop a different feeling for perception of the higher worlds than you do in the world of ordinary physical reality. The mode of thinking we use in relation to the physical world and to existence on earth will not help us to achieve a higher vision. There you need not only to think, but also to be thought, and to know that you are being thought. It is not exactly easy to characterize our inner response to higher perceptions accurately, for we do not yet have the human words for it. Perhaps we may use an analogy. It would be like making all kinds of movements and not observing ourselves making them, but looking into the eye of another person instead to observe our movements there, saying to ourselves, making our observations there, we know that we are doing something or other with our hands or facial expression. This is the feeling you have at the first level of higher vision. You only have a general awareness of the fact that you are thinking, but you observe yourself in the conscious awareness of the spirits of the next higher hierarchy. You let the angels think your thoughts. You must know that you are not governing your own thoughts in your conscious mind, but that spirits of the next higher hierarchy are governing them. You must feel the conscious awareness of the angels welling and actively moving within you. Possibly that's the word dwelling and actively moving within you, but I'm not sure. This will give you insight into the progressive impulses of evolution. For instance, the truth about the Christ impulse which continues to be active even today, seeing that it has come into existence. The angels are able to think those impulses. We human beings are able to think and characterize them if our attitude to our thoughts is one where we give them over to the angels, letting them think in us. This is achieved by long training, as described in my book titled Knowledge of the Higher Worlds. A moment comes when the words, quote, Your soul no longer thinks, it is a thought 
which the angels are thinking close quote, become meaningful, something you can feel. When this becomes true, individual human experience, you inwardly enter into the thoughts of the general Christ truths, let us say, or other thoughts concerning the wise guidance of earth evolution. Anything relating to individual periods of earth evolution, the ancient Indian period, the ancient Persian period, and so on, is thought by the archangels. Further training takes you to the point where you are not only thought by the angels but become living experience for the archangels. All it needs is to continue the exercises until you know that you hand your life over to become the life of the archangels. I have given some details of this entitled The Threshold of the Spiritual World, saying that the sensation you get is one of having your head in an ant heap. I also spoke of this in Munich. The ants are the actively moving thoughts. In ordinary life we believe, we think our thoughts. With training you come to realize that the thoughts are thinking in you because the angeloi are thinking in you. As you progress you get the feeling that you are taken to different regions of the world by the archangels and get to know those regions. Anyone giving a true description of Egyptian or Indian civilization knows the meaning of the words, quote, your thoughts are taken to a particular period by an archangel, close quote. It is as if the juices of life in us knew that they maintain the process of life and are taken around the organism like the blood. The seer knows he is taken around the world's life process by the archangels. Anything connected with entering into the soul of an individual experience can only be investigated when the words, quote, the soul offers itself to be food to the origins, or archai, the spirits of personality, close quote, acquire meaning. This may sound grotesque, but it is nevertheless true that truths such as the life of Jesus cannot be investigated unless the words, quote, you are consumed to serve the spirits of personality as spiritual food, close quote, have real meaning to you. This does, of course, sound nonsensical to people who know only the life of the physical world. But just as the mouthful of bread going down to your stomach becomes your food, if it were able to reflect, it would know that its meaning and purpose lie in that we make it our food. So do we human beings have meaning and purpose in serving the archai as food. We are continually consumed by the archai as we walk around here on earth. You will not deny that people in general do not know this and would consider it a crazy idea if someone were to tell them. Human beings are to the archai what grains of wheat are to you as human beings. We have to know this from living experience, and not as mere theory, relating to the archai the way a grain of wheat would if it were ground to a pulp by our teeth and then passed through our gullet and stomach in the knowledge. I am human food, so we must know. I am archai food. I am digested by the archai. This is their life. 
which I live in them. Then we share in the conscious awareness of the spirits of personality, just as we share in the conscious awareness of the archangels, knowing that the archangels are taking our souls into a particular age, and we share in the conscious awareness of the angels when we know that our thoughts are thought by the angels. The conditions in which experience is gained must change if we want to enter into the higher worlds and read their secrets. We must know ourselves to be consumed by the spirits of personality. If we want to investigate facts in human evolution that are as real and tangible as the life of Jesus of Nazareth. These remarks may help to show how different occult research is from research in the physical world. You can think the analogy through and it will give you something to go by. You can think yourself to be the grain of wheat ground to a pulp and gain an idea of what is involved when one reads in the conscious awareness of the archai. The analogy is perfectly true, for your soul has to be ground to a pulp and you must feel this. Higher investigation is not possible without inner pain and suffering. If it is to yield more than sheer fantasy, investigation into the higher worlds cannot be achieved as painlessly as investigations done in the physical world. Hence my efforts to avoid abstract concepts and abstract description when I spoke of the life of Jesus yesterday. I told you that this was a true account of the life of Jesus of Nazareth from his twelfth to his eighteenth, twentieth and thirtieth years. The details of the story are less important. What matters is that we get a real feeling for what the Jesus soul went through and share in the infinite pain of isolation when he was all alone with the original truths, there being no ears to hear them. The intention was to present something of the inner life the inner feelings of Jesus of Nazareth. I wanted to show how he took up the suffering and pain of humanity three times between his twelfth and thirtieth year. Merely telling yourselves or others the events which I attempted to outline will not help you realize the significance of what Jesus went through in preparation for the mystery of Golgotha. You need to gain an idea of the sufferings undergone by Jesus of Nazareth a human being, and let your hearts be deeply moved. He had to go through this pain and suffering before he came to the mystery of Golgotha so that the Christ impulse might enter into earth evolution. The Christ impulse comes alive in our minds when we bring those sufferings to life in ourselves, speaking of facts relating to such things as these, and seeking to bring our feelings and inner responses to mind. This is evident from the nature of Akashic research, which I have tried to describe in a few words. The more one succeeds in entering into the living, surging and welling inner feelings, the more does one penetrate those unknown truths. The next event in the life of Jesus is something I need not go into, for we have often spoken of it. Through the baptism by John in the Jordan, the three bodies of Jesus of Nazareth 
previously filled with the spirit of the Zarathustra I, received the Christ spirit. An entity thus came down from the world of the spirit and took up the destiny of being bound to a human body for three years. It is important to realize the meaning of this. Essentially, it differs enormously from anything else that happened in earth evolution. We have to understand that the event in which the Christ Spirit entered into the bodies of Jesus of Nazareth was not a purely human affair in earth evolution. You may consider the matter from the human point of view and say, there was a human being who was as we described him. He took the Christ Spirit, the Christ impulse into himself. But we can also consider the matter from a very different point of view, though in this case our reflections will be a bit thin in mental images. This does not matter. Having prepared ourselves through the science of the Spirit, we will be able to make something of it. Let us assume we sit and contemplate the mystery of Golgotha, not as human beings in the assembled council of humanity, but in the council of the higher hierarchies, being a member of those hierarchies. A rough analogy is the following. If a village is halfway up a mountain, we can look at it from below and also from the top of the mountain. Naturally, we generally consider the mystery of Golgotha from the human point of view but it is possible to climb up into the sphere of the higher hierarchies. How would we then speak of the mystery of Golgotha? We would have to say that when earth evolution started the higher... Excuse me, read it again. We would have to say that when human evolution started, the higher hierarchies had specific aims for humanity. They wanted to to guide earth evolution in a particular direction. But Lucifer intervened in human affairs on earth. As a member of the higher hierarchies, you looked down on earth evolution, wanting to guide human destinies. And then Lucifer changes the direction of evolution, though the intention had been to let things take a different course. Looking down on human evolution, we would then say to ourselves, not everything that happens down there happens because of us. Lucifer is forever intervening. With Lucifer and later also Araman getting mixed up in the process, an element entered into human evolution that was alien to everything the higher hierarchies were doing. In a way, we might say, that the members of the higher hierarchies said to themselves, quote, Up to a point, the earthly sphere of action is lost to us. Forces have entered that remove this sphere and its human souls from us. The higher hierarchies become involved in stages in the process of guidance, depending on their powers, starting with the lowest. High, and indeed the highest of the spirits, are involved in the management of earth evolution, but they let certain matters be dealt with by their servants, the angels, archangels, and Akai and these are the first to be directly involved. We saw ourselves, in all humility, sitting in the council of the higher hierarchies rather than the council of humanity. And in that situation we were able to say, the angels, archangels, and archai are our messengers, 
They could execute our orders extremely well if it were not for the alien forces present in the earthly sphere. This led to the great council of the gods arriving at something like the following conclusion. As we have not been able to keep Lucifer and Armon away from earth evolution, our servants, the angels, archangels and archai, are no longer able from a certain point in time to do what we intend them to do for humanity. The point in time was that of the mystery of Golgotha. When this time approached, the gods of the higher hierarchies had to say to themselves, quote, we are losing the possibility of letting our servants intervene in human souls. We have been unable to hold off Lucifer and Araman, and because of this we shall not be able to influence evolution through our servants after this time. Then powers will arise in human souls that can no longer be guided by angels, archangels, and archai. Human beings are getting beyond our reach because of the powers of Lucifer and Araman. That truly was the mood, in quotes, in heaven, when the moment in time approached that marked the beginning of our present era. The gods' great, in quotes, anxiety was that their servants would no longer be able to look after humanity properly from a certain point in time. I am sure you will not misunderstand this, for you know from the science of the Spirit that terms have a different meaning and evoke a different response when we use them to characterize the higher worlds. The gods' anxiety grew, becoming more and more of a torment, if we may put it like this. Then the decision was made to send down the sun spirit, sacrificing it, for they said to themselves, quote, let him choose a different destiny from now on. Instead of sitting on the council, in the council of the gods, let him enter the arena where human souls live. We sacrifice this sun spirit who, until now, has been one of us in the spheres of the higher hierarchies. Now he shall enter into the earth's aura, and Jesus shall be the gateway for this. This then is how the matter looked from above. It was the concern of the gods who guide earth evolution, not only a matter for humans. One approach to this would have been not merely to ask, quote, what has to be done so that humanity will not go downhill and be lost, close quote, but to ask, quote, how can we gods create a counterbalance to what is happening in earth evolution because we had to let Lucifer and Araman become involved in it, close quote. Now we can feel that the mystery of Golgotha is more than just an earthly affair, that it is a matter concerning the gods, an event in their world. Truly, it was even more important that the gods had to let Christ go, giving him to the earth, than that humanity was able to receive the Christ. Fundamentally speaking, how else are we to take the mystery but as the central event on earth? Looking at the mystery of Golgotha, we have to see that it was an affair of the gods. They opened a window in the heavens and for a while dealt with their affairs in the sight of human eyes. We have to develop a real feeling for this, so that it is as if the house of heaven was closed up as we walk past it, 
But there would be a window at this point and we would be allowed to look through it and see things that otherwise are hidden within the walls of the God's dwelling place. Someone with true, reverent, occult feeling will approach the mystery of Golgotha like someone walking stealthily around a building that is all closed up, having only a faint idea of what goes on inside. But there is a window at one point, and through the window it is possible to witness a small part of what goes on inside. The mystery of Golgotha is such a window on the world of the spirit. And so we must develop a feeling for what happened when the Christ spirit entered into the body, or really the three bodies of Jesus of Nazareth. We need to enter into this idea more and more deeply, realizing that in the mystery of Golgotha we get a glimpse of an event that was an affair of the gods. Speaking of things like these, we have to use words differently than we do in everyday life. We have to speak of the anxiety, the fear of the gods before the time came in earth evolution that had to be fulfilled through the mystery of Golgotha. Words have to be given a new meaning for the most sacred affairs of humanity. People are always ready from sheer silliness, frivolity, vanity or for other reasons to denigrate things that are spoken of as something most sacred. All you need to do is to take a term and twist its meaning to suit the way you want it in exoteric life. It is possible to turn something into its opposite, however much it was said out of an inner necessity to make the truths of the spiritual world known, truths it has been so hard to wring from your soul. People who are sufficiently frivolous and unscrupulous will twist their meaning, considering them ridiculous, devilish, or satanic. This is only too widespread in the present time. And the people who should guard the treasure of sacred spiritual truths so that they may enter into human hearts are not sufficiently watchful. People want to feed your spirit without effort. How often does one have to see deplorable things? If someone goes only a little beyond materialism in speaking of the spirit, people will say this meets their need. It requires no effort on their part, especially inner effort. We should feel that when we take part in spiritual contemplation of the most sacred aspects of earth evolution, we carry responsibility for the rightful use of the treasures of knowledge relating to the world of the spirit. People are extremely frivolous and superficial in this area today, taking everything lightly. You will meet with such frivolity again and again, but perhaps you will only realize how abhorrent it is if you are sufficiently watchful and if your hearts are truly aflame for the most sacred spiritual truths then perhaps you may be able to judge them rightly and be good guardians of the treasures of the spirit we are all called upon to guard. It is perhaps easiest to say such serious things when one is referring to something as important as the truth that the mystery of Golgotha is not just a human affair, but an affair of the gods, and that we are able to glimpse this divine affair as through a window. I know that anything said to characterize this will be distorted 
in such a way that I cannot bring myself to speak of it. Perhaps a time will come when you will all have to remember the fact that words used in the physical world have to be given new meaning if we want to use them for the higher world, and that it will then be easy to misinterpret them. In popular Christianity, the truth I have presented has been given in the words, quote, The Father sacrificed His Son for humanity. Close quote. For human hearts prepared to feel, these words indicate in a popular way what may be truthfully put as, quote, The mystery of Golgotha was an affair of the gods. Close quote. If you take everything I have said, you should have an idea of what happened at the baptism by John in the Jordan. It was followed by the temptation, which is also referred to in the other Gospels. From the point of view of the Akashic record, we would more or less say that when Jesus of Nazareth had received the Christ Spirit into himself, he had to go into solitude, and there he had a visionary experience that is described fairly accurately in the words of the Gospel writers, who were clairvoyant. We might present it in a similar way, but reference must be made to the fact that the Christ Spirit was now truly connected with the three bodies of Jesus of Nazareth. It had come down from the heights of spirit and become limited to the abilities of the three bodies. It would be wrong, therefore, to imagine that after the baptism the Christ, as a member of a higher world, would immediately have been able to gain insight into that world. That was not the case. If you find this difficult to understand, consider what it means to be a clairvoyant. Who are the clairvoyants? You are, every one of you. There are none who are not clairvoyant. Why do they not have clairvoyant vision? Because they have not developed the organs that enable them to use the powers that exist in every human being. It is not just a matter of having abilities but of being able to use them. The Christ Spirit had all kinds of abilities, but in the three bodies of Jesus of Nazareth it had only the abilities that were possible in those bodies. They had gone through complex preparatory stages, and the abilities of those three bodies were certainly greater than the corresponding abilities of all other people on earth, but the Christ was bound to them. Just as your clairvoyant abilities are bound to organs which you possess but are not yet able to use. The Zarathustra soul had left certain abilities behind in the three bodies of Jesus of Nazareth, and the Christ was able to use these when he first of all faced a spiritual entity who was to arouse all the pride and arrogance of which a human soul is capable. He experienced what this spiritual entity brought about in him using the inner language of visions. Quote, All the realms you see around you, close quote, these were the realms of the spiritual world, quote, shall be yours if you recognize me as the Lord of this world, close quote. If we were to develop pride and arrogance to the highest degree and enter into the world of the spirit with them, that arrogance would drown everything else and we would gain the world realm of Lucifer. We would have to leave everything else behind except for our arrogance. Only we are not made for this as human beings. 
It would be a terrible fate if we have to face we would have to face if we were. Christ Jesus was faced with this possibility. And at this point two images arose in his heart. One reflected the experience he had on his way to the river Jordan when he met the individual whom I called the desperate man yesterday. And the figure who had approached the desperate man in his dream appeared to Jesus of Nazareth again, now saying, quote, Recognize me as the Lord of the world. Close quote. And he also recognized the figure he had seen before the Essene gates as Lucifer. He therefore knew that Lucifer was speaking to him and repulsed the attack. He overcame Lucifer. Then two entities launched a second attack on him. The impression he gained was again very much as the Bible tells us. He was told, quote, Show all your fearlessness, your strength and power as a human being, by throwing yourself down from the heights and not being afraid of taking harm. Close quote. In such a situation, all awareness of strength, of courage, should arise in the human heart. But it can also cause a person to become wanton. Two figures stood before Christ. He had, however, gained an impression of Lucifer and Araman fleeing from the Essene gates. And he also had the impression that one of those figures masked the entity who presented himself as death to the leper whom Jesus had met on his way to the Jordan. He therefore recognized Lucifer and Araman, recalling his experiences on the way. He repulsed this attack as well, overcoming both Lucifer and Araman. Then Araman approached once more, and what he said to Christ Jesus as a kind of temptation is reflected in the words of the Bible, quote, Make these stones into bread to reveal your power, close quote. This time, however, Christ Jesus was not able to meet Araman's challenge fully. He had repulsed the first two attacks, one by Lucifer on his own and one by Lucifer and Araman, who cancelled each other out. But Araman's final attack was not, could not be entirely repulsed, and this was to have significance for the whole working of the Christ impulse on earth. I shall have to use a popular, rather commonplace approach to show what the words, quote, make these stones into bread that they may feed people, close quote, actually means. For the rest of earth evolution, up to Vulcan, the higher hierarchies will not be able to drive Araman completely from the scene of their activities. It will never prove impossible to overcome inner temptation by Lucifer, the wishes, desires, passions, pride, arrogance, and presumption that arise in us. If Lucifer attacks human beings on his own, spiritual effort will overcome him. And if Lucifer and Araman attack together from inside the human being, spiritual means will again lead to victory. If, however, Araman comes on his own, he anchors his powers in the material processes of earth evolution and then he cannot be entirely removed from the scene. Araman, Mephistopheles, Mammon, these terms mean the same, is to be found in money, in everything connected with our natural egotism on earth. Because human life must inevitably always have some external material aspect, human beings have to reckon with Araman.
to give real help to humanity on earth, the Christ had to allow Araman to have an influence. Araman, material nature, must be part of earth evolution to its very end. The Christ must not overcome the influence of Araman. The Christ had to accept that the struggle against Araman must continue until earth evolution reaches its end. Araman had to remain. Inner attacks by Lucifer and by Lucifer and Araman together can be overcome by us. The struggles in the external world of matter have to be fought through to the end of earth evolution. The Christ, therefore, had to keep Araman at bay, but he had to let him continue at his side. Because of this, it was also possible for Araman to be active side by side with the Christ during the three years in which Christ was active in the body of Jesus of Nazareth, and then to enter into Judas's soul, inducing him to betray the Christ. What happened through Judas was connected with the challenge offered at the temptation after the event by the River Jordan, a challenge that could not be fully met. The Christ Spirit only united with the three bodies gradually in a process that took three years. Initially the connection was a loose one. The three bodies were only truly filled with the Christ Spirit at a time when death was not far off. Compared to all the pain and suffering Jesus of Nazareth experienced in his three stages of development, the suffering that Christ went through now was infinitely greater. Over a period of three years, the Christ Spirit slowly found a way of entering into the three human bodies. It was continual pain, but pain that was transformed into love and love and love. If we investigate the way Christ Jesus lived among his close followers during the three years, we find it was different from year to year. In the first year, the Christ was only loosely connected with the body of Jesus of Nazareth. At any moment the physical body might be in one place and the Christ spirit would be somewhere else. When the other Gospels speak of the Lord appearing to the disciples in some place or other, the physical body would be somewhere else and the Christ Spirit would move around the country. That was at the beginning. As time went on, the Christ Spirit united more and more closely with the body of Jesus of Nazareth. Thus it would happen later on that when the Christ was among his closest disciples, these would be so strongly connected with him in heart and mind that he was not separate from them, as it were. The more he entered into his body, the more did he come to live in the inmost being of his disciples. Going about in their midst, he would speak now through one of them and now through another, for he had become so much part of them that it would not always be Jesus Christ who uttered the words, but sometimes one of the disciples. The Christ would speak through one of the disciples. He entered so powerfully into the inner life of the disciples that the face of the disciple through whom the Christ was speaking would change. Outsiders would then feel that it was the Master who spoke. The other individual who was in fact the Christ would be reduced to nothingness, looking quite ordinary. Thus he would speak now through one, now through another, as they went about the country. This was the secret of his influence during the latter part of the three years. 
As Christ went about with his disciples in this way, he became increasingly more dangerous in the eyes of his enemies who would say, How can we lay hands on him? We can't arrest the whole company. If we take the one who is speaking, we shall never know if he is the one or not. If we take the wrong one, the one we want will escape. They never knew if the one they saw before them was the man they wanted. That was their great anxiety. They knew that different individuals would speak at different times, and the wanted man could not be identified because he would look as ordinary as one of the others. There was something very special about this company, and because of this it was necessary to have a betrayal. The matter was not as it is usually represented. What is it supposed to mean that Judas was to kiss the one who was wanted? The way the story is normally told, it should not have been difficult to get hold of Jesus of Nazareth. The kiss would be meaningless. Unless the situation was such that someone who was in a position to know had to show those who did not know which was the right man. I have indicated the reason why the enemy did not know which was the right man. The Christ Spirit only united completely with the bodies of Jesus of Nazareth when great suffering had to be faced and the mystery of Golgotha was beginning. What happened then is most beautifully described in the other Gospels. One of the facts emerging when the seer's eye EYE, is directed to these events in the Akashic record is that at the time when the Christ hung on the cross a darkness fell on the earth in the region around Golgotha that was like an eclipse of the sun. I am unable to say if it was a solar eclipse or darkness caused by mighty cloud formations, but darkness of the kind normally observed during a solar eclipse happened around the mystery of Golgotha. Seen with a seer's eye, life on earth during an eclipse is very different from the usual. In plants, the connection between the ether body and the physical body is completely different. And in animals, astral body and ether body look very different when the earth is darkened in this way. It is different from what happens during the absence of the sun at night. Nor was it the way it would be when the sky is covered with clouds in the ordinary way. It was a particularly dense darkness. As I said, I do not know if this was an actual solar eclipse, but one sees something rather like an eclipse. While this change happened on earth, also in the physical sense, the Christ Spirit entered into the living earth aura. Through the death of Christ Jesus, the earth received the Christ impulse. The greatest event that ever happened on earth can only be described in such simple halting words. Human words simply are not enough to convey these things adequately. When the body of Jesus was taken from the cross and laid in a tomb, another natural event occurred, rather like something entering into the moral life of a person. The seer's eye can observe a whirlwind arising and a fissure opening in the ground. This received the body of Jesus and the burial cloths were whirled away from the corpse. It is deeply moving to see the cloths arranged exactly as described in the Gospel of John. Those two events, the darkening of the earth and the earthquake, accompanied by a tremendous whirlwind, show that natural events occurred at the same time as the spiritual events 
at that time in earth evolution. Normally this happens only in living creatures, for instance when thinking and a voluntary decision precede a movement of the hand. Earth evolution has been such that in ordinary life we are dealing with mechanical facts only. Only at one special moment did a spiritual and two physical events come together. It also happens in relation to other facts on earth, but this is the supreme example. I do not think that a look at the facts, which can now be presented to a small number of people as a kind of fifth gospel, will in any way detract from the greatness of the more theoretical idea we have of the significance of the mystery of Golgotha. Quite the contrary. I believe that if we allow these facts to influence influence us more and more deeply, the more theoretical abstract concepts of the mystery of Golgotha, presented in earlier lectures, which have been mainly in the realm of thought, will be given substance. It will be evident from the nature of these facts that important events will take place in earth evolution at this point in time. Perhaps it will only be possible to get the right feeling and the right inner attitude to the mystery of Golgotha by getting to know these facts. It has been my intention to help you find that inner attitude by telling you these stories from the fifth gospel. It may be possible to speak of it again in other lecture courses, perhaps also here in Cologne. For it has to be said that although people show little inclination to be told such facts as these, it was absolutely essential that knowledge of such facts should be brought into earth evolution at the present time. This is why they are communicated, although it is extremely difficult to speak of these things. One may well feel inclined not to speak of them, but they are communicated from an inner sense of obligation so long as human souls are prepared to receive them. They will be needed in human evolution. The souls which now receive them will undoubtedly need them for the work they must do in soul and spirit as human evolution progresses. You see, our studies have gradually shown what must come alive in our souls so that we may truly have a part in the ongoing evolution of humanity. The meaning and purpose of human evolution on earth is that human souls should become more and more conscious of their mission. The Christ has come. His impulse has been a real influence. For a long time he was active more at an unconscious level. Then he had to be able to work through what had so far been understood. He had an influence because of what he was, not because of what people understood. It will, however, become more and more necessary for people to understand the Christ who entered into the bodies of Jesus of Nazareth and through them into the earth's aura and therefore the living evolution of humanity. The end of Lecture 13 and the end of the book, The Fifth Gospel from the Akashic Record, a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner, Collected Works, Volume 148.